1: means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. My special guest, was david tuttle he's the co-host of the bleacher blums podcast with jeff blum he also had a nine year career in professional baseball we talked about everything from his career in little league all the way through high school and college We also talked about life after baseball and how him and Jeff Blum decided to get the podcast started. So anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy this amazing conversation with former professional baseball player and professional podcaster, David Tuttle. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Astros Baseball I have a special guest uh, with me today, a nine-year professional career in baseball, co-host of Bleacher Blum's with Jeff Blum. Welcome to the show, David Tuttle.
2: Rob, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I know I don't have a a strong connection to the Astros, but uh, I'm happy to be on the
1: Astros baseball podcast. Well, we talked earlier you know, before the show, and you did say you're getting there. You're starting to become a fan of the Astros, and that's how we hook you in. You just you just start paying attention to them, and after a while, you're going to get hooked. They're an exciting group.
2: Yeah, you know, they're a great baseball team, and, uh, you know, aside from all the stuff that's been going on this uh, pass offseason, season, uh, they have, you know, a bunch of talented guys on the, on the team, and uh, I, I think, you know, being a
1: former professional player, as, as we already discussed, um, you know, you can't help but admire and, and at least respect those guys. Okay, so on your bio, on the Bleacher Blum's website, it says you played soccer, hockey, basketball, and of course, baseball, you had a nine-year career, and you were traded with Mark Lewis for David Wells back in 1995, so that's, that's a pretty good highlight reel there. Yeah. It's a good highlight reel. I mean, you know,
2: it's it's not the old like the you know, the it's not a I don't know how to say it. It's not like the the hard luck story, you know, like a kid out of nowhere. I think it's funny, I have a story from uh, Little League. My mom was sitting next to one of my good buddies, teammate uh teammate's mom. And uh, you know, I'd been playing Little League for two or three years and she said, you know, how's David doing? Does he like baseball? I was 11 or 12 years old, you know. And she goes, I don't know. You know, he goes to practice. He does all the things he's supposed to do. And that was my first at bat when I was 12 years old. And I hit a ball the next pitch off the scoreboard, right <laughs> off the scoreboard in center field. And it was funny. I mean, you know, I I, I pieced these together because obviously I was just playing the game. But my mom said, you know, Mrs. Phillips asked me if, you know, you were going to continue with baseball and you hit the next pitch off the scoreboard. And I said, yeah, maybe he'll continue with baseball. So anyway, you know, I had I, always been really into sports and, and a decent athlete. But I think that first time I hit the ball off the scoreboard when I was 12 years old was certainly, a, you know, hopefully an indicator of things to come. But it certainly gave me a lot of confidence.
1: Yeah. Well, I grew up playing baseball as well, but I only got the uh, inside the park home runs. Back in like, you know, between the ages of nine and 12, maybe maybe up to eighth grade. I might have gotten one. I don't know. But I, I was never that great. I, w- I was good as young as a young kid. But the older I got, the better it seemed everybody else got. Uh, so I, I, I told you earlier, I did some research on you. And so you're from Los Gatos, California. Yeah. So I, I kind of consider myself an army
2: brat. I went to high school in Los Gatos, California. Um, it's weird. My dad had been at Stanford business school way back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I was born in Palo Alto, which is right there where Stanford university is, but he worked for IBM. And so, I mean, even before minor league and, you know, professional baseball career, we moved a lot. So, I mean, I was born in the Bay area. We moved to Connecticut, which to be near, like, you know, I am headquarters. Then we moved to Columbus, Ohio. I lived in Columbus, Ohio and became a Buckeye fan for a while. Hmm. Um, Then we moved back from Columbus, Ohio, all the way back to Connecticut. And then we moved back to the Bay Area. So I always, you know, I don't mean to be, like, nitpicky when people are like, hey, where are you from? But, you know, now being older, it's like, yeah, I'm a Bay Area kid. But even before, you know, minor league and professional baseball and, you know, kind of that traveling all over, you know, the, the nation, I, uh, you know, I felt like I had kind of seen the world
1: even before I was like 14 or 15 years old because we moved so much. Okay. So yeah, that answers my question then. So we start your career in little league. You, You started playing when you were 12. That's how late you started. Oh,
2: no, no, no. That was when I got asked if, um, that was when I got asked
1: if I was going to, like, continue playing. Oh, okay. So when I was five or six years old, I was playing soccer. Uh, as a matter of fact, with uh,
2: I think it was probably AYSO soccer even back then. Mm-hmm. I know I'm dating myself. I'm, I'm really old, but it, whatever it was, it was city soccer. And I got on a really good rec team. So when I was, like, 10, I felt like I was a really good soccer player. And I don't know how well-versed you are in the soccer universe now that I have kids that play soccer. It's kind of like... When I was playing in Connecticut, um, you made, you had a tryout for the travel team. And it was your age group, but they had one travel team. Mm-hmm. So that's, that would be the equivalent of club. So when somebody said, Hey, are you playing soccer still? I would say, Yeah, I'm playing travel ball. They're like, Oh, travel ball. That's great. And we would just travel all over Connecticut. Now, if you ask somebody, you know, how good they are at soccer or what, you, what sports are you playing, they'll say, Yeah, it's like club soccer. But, you know, club soccer is if you write a check, <laughs> you oh, can yeah. play flight three you know, on this club over there and, you know, it's kind of, it's money based. So back then it was some ability based. So I guess originally your question, we talked about this off air. I was a decent athlete, you know, from the age of eight, nine or ten. And I was mostly playing soccer. I always wanted to play football. So when I got to high school I got to play football. But I think most importantly was when I had free time um, I had a ball glove and a tennis ball and I would just throw it against the garage or my dad, like basketball, he would teach me how to shoot free throws. Like, all right, you got to hit every free throw. This is how you do it. Hand up, elbow in. So when I had free time, I was always out doing something with the ball, high energy, like wiffle ball, shooting free throws, you know, soccer, you name it. That was, you know, that was, I was out doing
1: something. Right. When we grew up, we, we would play baseball with tennis rackets and tennis balls. We played a lot of wiffle ball in the front yard. Uh, while watching our other brothers play games, we would play cut ball in between yep. games. Uh, we We had a yep. basketball hoop in the front yard, many, many hours of basketball. So growing up, I played a whole lot of basketball and baseball myself. But like I said earlier, I did some research on you. And you were, do you remember being in the Sanford Federal Little League when you were in Connecticut?
2: Oh, absolutely. We won uh, three state championships in a row. Yeah, Sanford Federal Little League was kind of the, you know, you you and I talked a little off air. So just to give the audience some perspective, I mean, that's when, so that's when I thought, you know, this is something I can do. I was, you know, I I wasn't the best player on the team then, Mm -hmm. but we had a really good team. And I think. We talked about the Astros a little bit. This is a really funny thing because it's one thing to be the best player on your team, but baseball, especially, and, and you know, I guess many sports, soccer, they're team sports. That was the best team I'd ever been on. I mean, we had a we had a stud at every position. So I, I remember Stanford Federal Little League. I think it was yesterday. I mean, we, we when I was eleven, they went. We,
3: I was an alternate on the all star team. Mm-hmm. Went to the Little League World Series. Um, They went to the Little League World Series in Williamsport. When I was 12, boy, that was heartache and heartbreak. I made the team as a starter. I was a catcher, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And we came two games away. We lost in the uh, regionals. We came two
2: games away from going back to the Little League World Series. We would have done that consecutive years. So there were some tears shed when we lost to Rhode Island. (laughs) We lost to the Rhode Island team up there. And then, uh, and then the next year when we were 13, it wasn't Stanford Federal Little League. It was uh, Stanford American, like uh, Babe Ruth League. And we won the state championship again and went up to the regionals in Maine. So those were, that was when my baseball career, I think, really started. That's when uh, we had really good teams, and that's when I learned a lot.
1: So one thing I've noticed about you while researching is you've won a lot of championships wherever you've been. So you've already said three championships in a row in Little League and then another one in Babe Ruth. So, I mean, we got more to talk about. I mean, you're going to go to high school, college, professional, and you're going to win more. But, uh, so, yeah, it says here, what I looked up, you had a 517 batting average the year you said you were two, sh- two uh, wins short. 517 yeah. batting average with four home runs. You're on the all-star team. Uh So, yeah, I you know, it's so funny batting 500 in little league. I think I don't know if that's par for the course. You hear those statistics, and it's kind
2: of like, wow, 500. I you know, anybody (laughs) would love to hit 500. Yeah, but uh, I I don't know if that was just for all stars or for the season. I think, um, I think kind of what you're getting at, and and I I do appreciate this, and and people that know me know this as well. And this isn't just a defer, but I think you know. I think I really work well on a team. That's the bottom line. Like, I'm not a weak link. So I don't think I was ever the best player on a team. Mm-hmm. But I was told this in professional baseball as well by a minor league director. Like, they knew what they could get out of me. And, I, you know, I don't know if that was diminishing my ability. But, you know, as my career got on, they were like, you know what, Tuttle? You're reliable. We can start you. You can come out of the bullpen. You know, you're not going to cause any trouble off the field, which, you know, at this day and age, that's something to consider. And so, you know, they kept signing me for that reason. And I've said this on the Bleacher Bluff podcast, but, I, you know, I was never released. I got traded a few times and I decided to retire. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I never got released. So I, I do take a lot of pride in that. I mean, we won, I think, three championships in the minor league, three state championships in a row in Little league. We won a soccer championship. I mean, I was on a lot of winning teams. And like I said, I don't get credit for that because that's a team thing. Right. But you know, it's a nice thing to have on your resume. You know, I guess it's like Robert Ory,
1: right? Robert Ory has right. seven championships. He was not the stud on any of those teams, but he also wasn't a weak link, and he hit some big shots. So maybe that's the uh, maybe that's my uh, reputation as well. So what I would think, being someone that's used to being on on winning teams, I would assume losing. Uh, handling losing would be pretty rough. I think for any competitive person, I mean, you mentioned playing sports a lot when you were little. I don't think people, I don't think, I don't know.
2: And there are different types of people, you know, maybe not as highly competitive or whatever, but yeah, no, I don't like losing. But my dad (laughs) was a big sportsman. My dad was a big sportsmanship guy. He taught me sportsmanship at an early age. Mm. And so I was really all about like, my effort and my energy. And that's what I'm trying to raise my kids with, which is, look, you have control. I, You know, I tell everybody this. I mean, my wife, too. Like, you have control over the process and your effort and your skill set. That's what you have control over. You don't have control over whether you really win or lose. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have control over... You typically... A pitcher learns this early. You don't have control over the outcome. I had plenty of games where I threw seven or eight good innings and I lost two to one, right? Shortstop made an error or something like that. The winning run scores, mm-hmm. or you have a game where you give up five runs in three innings and the team wins ten to five, and they're all happy after the game. You can tell which one of those outings is more satisfying from my standpoint, right? Yeah, that two to one loss where you got into the seventh or eighth inning and stuff didn't go your way is a much more satisfying because because of your effort and your skill set. Um, that's that's you know what you have to. Um, That's what my goal always was, was to kind of have an outcome like that. or uh, Yeah, I mean, outcome like that. So I I think I don't like to lose, but I also realize that it's more the process than than the result.
1: Yeah, you make a good point. I remember, I think I started playing in second grade and I was the pitcher and the team they put me on was so bad that if they hit a ground ball to me, I had to run it to first base to try to beat the guy to first. I don't know how everybody was so bad, but it was just, and, and I I remember getting frustrated as a pitcher and slamming my glove down on the ground and my dad getting to me after the game. And he said, if you do that again, you're not going to play anymore. You know, you're not going to act like that. So he kind of taught me a lesson early, not to, you know, not to let my emotions get the best of me, but, like you said, I mean, I hated losing too. I, I really hated it.
2: Well, you, I think you bring up a good point, Robin. I'll tell you, I mean, it's a it's a learned skill, like anything else. You know, there's all these great quotes out there, and someone's like, you know, anybody learns how to lose, you know, is a loser or something like that. And you know, I disagree with that, right? There, anything is a learned skill, and it, like, like I said, if you control your energy and your effort, mm-hmm. how can you be disappointed in the result, right? If you gave everything you had. Um, it sounds like you uh, – baseball is one of those sports that's way more difficult, I believe, playing at a young age. The high-hand coordination with hitting a ball but also catching and throwing. You know, soccer is one thing where you run around and you chase a ball and you're just trying to kick it. That's why they have that beehive soccer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in all honesty, baseball is way harder. And so you running the ball over to first base and stepping on it just reminds me of the news there, like Kelly Leak, right? Yeah. He was playing center field. he run over and knock the guy over and catch it. <laughs> No, ran over to left field, knocked the guy over and catch it, you know, because all of a sudden winning support important. It's like, you know, that's uh, it's funny in a movie setting, but it's not really uh, it's not really the best way to develop uh, a skill set for later
1: on in life. Right. So so you ended up back in California in high school. And. Uh, let me see, it says you were also before we go to baseball, it says you were also an all league football player. I came up with some stats, Uh, 26 receptions, 550 yards, and 10 touchdowns as a wide receiver in your senior year. So you were also a very good football player as well. And didn't you win championships in football as well?
2: We did. So we had, like, (laughs) so in California, it's such a big state. It's like, um, you know, it's like Texas, obviously, like 5A, 4A. You guys have a ton of huge, um, you know, last Friday Night Lights, I mean, football there is way bigger. California kind of has a SoCal, NorCal, there's CIF, CCS. So we were the Central Coast, and we won a Central Coast championship. Uh, we won some league titles when I was there. We lost to our arch rival in the semifinals my senior year, so that was hard
3: to take. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this in hindsight, since this is many years ago, very frustrating that, um, you know, 26 receptions or 30 receptions that year, including the playoffs when two years later we had a passing like spread offense. Yeah. And I think the receivers got like seventy catches.
2: I was like, man, seventy catches. We were just a run it. Like we were high <laughs> formation. Like, all right, here you go, tailback, you run it. And that's what we ran. So I didn't get a lot of chances, you know. I mean thirty yeah. catches about in thirty catches in twelve games or thirteen games. I will say my senior year in the first playoff game, we played in the rain. And uh, I had three catches, but three touchdowns in that game. So that was fun. So, um, oh, I you know, think those, are, those are the glory days. I, I guess I touched on this before. That's when I gave up soccer. And mm. I tried to play as many sports as I could. So soccer, football, baseball, they were all coming to a head my freshman year. And um, I told my dad, he said, you can't play football until you get into high school. So I played soccer until I was 14. Mm. And then we moved back to California. And I was on the frost-off team, and I didn't know anybody. Like, I was a new kid in town, yeah. and I moved back. So I was like the tackling dummy my freshman year. That was not fun. But, uh, but I wanted to play football. My dad said, so you signed up for it. You want to play football. And yeah. then, you know, so soccer just fell by the wayside at that point. And then two years later, I was playing football and baseball exclusively. But uh, I had always wanted to play football. And I got some opportunities to go to college doing that, Division Two. Like UC Davis and then Santa Clara where I went to play baseball. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to play football as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed football. I think nowadays with the head injuries and things like that, I, I know people are a little more um, cautious about it. But, man, playing wide receiver in high school was a, mm-hmm. was probably one of the best best, best athletic
1: experiences of my life. <laughs> so you go to baseball, uh were you just a, a pitcher in high school or you played outfield or, cause it said in little league, you're a center fielder as well, but did you just pitch in high school or? No, Rob, that's a great question. So no, I didn't pitch. And this is something that kind of comes up in conversation quite
2: often because I think, you know, you hear about these kids, especially these perfect game or these area code games, kids are really good at 13 or 14 or 15 and they're having Tommy John surgery.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: tried I don't, I don't know if I tried this intentionally, but I love so many sports. I didn't want to focus on one. And when I was in Little League on the All-Star team, so I did play a little center field, mostly like shortstop, third base. But when I played on All-Stars, they made me the catcher. Mm-hmm. So I caught, and I had never done that before. And then, um, and I pitched a little bit, but my bicep was hurting when I was 12 years old. I pitched kind of during the season, not in All-Stars. Hmm. And, um, and so I never pitched. I got to high school and I played shortstop on the frost off team. Then I played third base um, as I moved up to the varsity team um, and I was a hitter. And then I think the summer of my senior year, I, I obviously had a good arm. I mean, that just kind of goes to your question about like, when did you know you were good and when, when did these things happen? I always had a good arm, but nobody ever put me on the mound. And so I think what happened is by closing actually became a thing at that time, like 1990. Yeah. So our, in my, my summer league, guys had to throw – you had like pitch limits and stuff and an American Legion ball. They're like, hey, Tuttle, why don't you throw like two innings or three innings? So I pitched a little bit in the summer before my senior year, and I did okay. And then I played third base again when the season started. But I think we'd get into a close game like five to three or five to four, and they would bring me in just to throw some fastballs. Mm-hmm. So I didn't pitch really at all in high school. And I think that was a huge benefit as I got into pro ball. So I had some scouts taking interest and some recruiters taking interest my senior year. And I remember I would play third base most of the game, and then I would get on the mound and like they would pull out the radar guns and stuff like that. It was kind of funny. That was the
1: first experience with that. Oh, Okay, so WVAL is that like Western Valley Conference or something? Yep. So you were the you were. Valley Athletic League. So you were all Western Valley Athletic League first team. Y'all won the league title, and you are the MVP of your team for the defensive player. I think that's what it says. And then your senior season, yep. you were All Central Coast selection, so that was very good. Yep. But you, but you did all this as a third baseman. Yep,
2: all that as a third baseman, not as a pitcher.
1: See, if I I wouldn't have yeah. spoke to you, I would have never known that. I just thought all you did was pitch. No, that's right. No,
2: nope. and I think, like I said, just not to not to belabor the point, but I think that's what a lot of people are kind of missing in this day and age coming up. It's like, you know, if you have a good arm when you're 15 or 16, a lot of these folks say, well, you got to focus on that and you got to really bear down and just do that specifically. Mm -hmm. But I I would disagree. I think, you know, it's kind of like you only have a certain amount of bullets in the gun, right? Yeah. And if you throw right and you strengthen your arm, what's wrong with throwing two or three innings here, two or three innings there and using your athletic ability to do something else? So I I just kind of think that I – I don't know if it was a chosen path necessarily,
1: but it was certainly something that benefited me with the fact that I didn't really start pitching until I was 17. So we we spoke earlier and uh, I was, I was just assuming that you were head and shoulders above everybody else as far as how good you were. And, uh, but you, you said you weren't ever even the best player on your team. And I, I told you a story about the football player, but I was going to mention to you also, I had my best friend growing up was a really good pitcher. He was always really good. And our junior year, he actually threw a one hitter in the state championship game. And he ended up going to the junior college in town. And so like, he was so good, like where we were from, but he wasn't even like good enough to be in like a major college, and so, but you were actually recruited by twenty different schools, and you were drafted by the Yankees in the thirty-fourth 34th, 34th round. So that that must have felt pretty amazing and there is a caveat to what I said so uh, the all-star teams that I was on like the little league teams, and you know some of these like the all CPS team mm-hmm. that we mentioned that was a like a faux
3: team right we never that was a selection but you never actually played a game with those guys so mm-hmm. those are all the guys in the Bay Area that were the best baseball players and football players so I, I guess when I say I was never the best player on the team I was never the best out of those guys oh, okay. but
2: like in high school I mean I would say in high school I was certainly the best baseball player on my team I mean, oh, okay. you know, we had some good players, but yeah, I mean, yeah, so I guess that kind of misspoke, or I, I that would be, <laughs> a, you know, maybe a, a little misleading statement to say I was never the best player on my team. I mean, I, I certainly in high school as a baseball player, uh, as a football player, I was probably one of the, you know, two or three or four best guys
3: on the team, and certainly the best receiver at that, at that age, you know, mm-hmm. 17 years old, 18 years old. But at baseball, yeah, I would say that. You know, if the scouts were coming to watch our game, they were watching me. Right. So there was there was a, a sense
2: that I was you know certainly somebody to look out for and certainly, yeah. certainly somebody to
1: watch. But okay. So most people in the area knew about you. Yeah,
2: and I think that's I don't know if Blummer said this too, but some of that I don't know if it's luck or you know luck is the residue of
3: design. I've seen had some really good games at the right time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think once the word got out. Certainly, it was uh, it was flattering to have you know scouts pull out the radar gun and come
2: check out this guy Tuttle, who's no nobody's ever seen pitch. I thought he was a third baseman. Yeah, all yeah. right. Well, let's go watch him pitch the last inning. And you know, there was a lot of hubbub. And my my wife gives me a hard time now because you know she had to kind of pay her way through school. She went to UCLA, and she's like, "You have these people like throwing offers at you, money at you. You know, you mm-hmm. had an easy road." And I said, "All right, you know, we can." We can agree to disagree on that, but, you know, it is nice to have a skill set, learn what that skill set is early, and then, you know, kind of enhance it and foster it and work
1: hard at it so that it can, uh, you know, so that it can lead you on a good path. Okay, so you mentioned something about timing, and that might have been what happened to my friend. That that happened, that good season he had was our junior season, and I, I now that I'm thinking back, it's been so long, like almost 40 years. uh <laughs> Yeah, I graduated in '89, so I think I'm a little older than you are. Uh, but I don't think he had I such a—I don't think he had such a great senior season. But like you, he played third base. Uh, that might have been timing. Maybe if he would have been a senior that year when he threw the one hitter, maybe he would have got more attention. And uh, so, anyway. Yeah. Well, there's a couple. A couple things with that. I, I actually graduated in '88. I don't know if I even ever said that on a Bleacher Bluff podcast. Oh, '88. Uh, yeah, so I you. Heard, oh, you are there, older so than me. Got you. you are older than me. Yep. You got yeah. me by one year. But
2: there you go. But so, but I think there's a couple of things in there, and I don't know if this is important for your listeners at all. But you know, throwing a one hitter. I mean, I knew plenty of guys. There was guys that. At schools near near me that didn't throw hard, they just really knew how to pitch early. We had a guy that had like a little cutter and a changeup. If you could pitch in high school, you Mm -hmm. could really dominate guys. Because I had a guy that actually went to Santa Clara with me, who was a year younger, and he was at our rival school. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Man, I would throw two fastballs right by him. He couldn't see him. And then I would try and get fancy and sneak a curveball by him. So he would just sit up there and wait." He's like, please Tuttle, get two strikes on me. I know you're gonna throw that rinky dick curveball. <laughs> and he would always get a hit. I threw a I threw a one-hitter against his school and he got the one hit on a curveball in the third inning. Oh yeah. So I guess my my point is that your buddy threw a one-hitter. I mean, scouts come out and they think they can teach you how to pitch. They're gonna get you into the organization and they're gonna show you how to be a
3: professional, mm-hmm. but they need you to have the arm strength. It's not always about, hey, that guy threw a one-hitter, that guy threw a
2: two-hitter. If he knows how to pitch, that's great.
1: But typically, when those scouts are coming out to watch high school players, they're looking for velocity. Okay, so, yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, before we take a break, you were recruited by 20 schools, and you were drafted by the Yankees. So when we get back, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back... I want to know why you chose to not, I guess, go professional and why you chose Santa Clara University. Sound good? Awesome. Yep. All right, folks, we'll be right back. I have an answer for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll be right back, folks. You're listening to Astros Baseball. Okay, folks, we are back with David Tuttle. Uh, When we left for the break... I was asking you about being recruited by 20 schools being drafted by the Yankees, but you chose to go to school. What, what, uh, influenced your decision there? Uh, one word father,
2: um, <laughs> you know, my, my dad, as I mentioned before, uh, he's no longer with us, uh, passed away about 14 or 15 years ago, but he, uh, he was an education guy. He had he had been raised in the Midwest as an only child, and obviously, uh, I mentioned earlier, he came out to Stanford Business School, and uh, had always just said, "Look, the most important thing is for you to get an education." And he said all that, being a sports fan and everything. And I think, you know, in hindsight, you always want to think, "Oh gosh, if I had signed with the Yankees, I still remember the scout that drafted me, Greg Orr. Mm-hmm. Greg Orr is uh he he was." In, at least five or six years ago, he was like the director of scouting for the Yankees. And he said, man, Tuttle, I remember you in high school. Like, you know, you see these guys around, he's still around. And uh, he, he had high hopes for me, but my dad was like, look, you're going to go get an education. And in all honesty, that leads to why I chose Santa Clara. Yeah. school. I mean, Arizona State looked at me for baseball. Um, some of the big schools, like Blummer School, Cal, they wanted me after they saw me pitch my freshman year of college. Yeah. <laughs> Their head coach, I I tell the story to Blummer all the time, was Bob Milano. And Milano was like, Tuttle, how come you didn't come to Cal? I'm like, because you thought I was like a soft-hitting third baseman in high school. You didn't invite me. Like, I'm going to come to Cal if you recruited me. But, uh, you know, I went to the place where I felt like I uh, could get a great education. And I went to the place that, you know, that really wanted me, to be honest with you, at that time. And and so, kind of back to your question, it was an easy decision because my dad was not going to let me – sign out of high school, regardless of which team. Right. Maybe, maybe if their money was huge or something like that, but I was not going to sign, and, and we kind of let everybody know that
1: prior. Right. So, you played three seasons at Santa Clara, and were you a pitcher the whole time there? I was. So in the fall, we had fall ball,
2: and they didn't have restrictions like they do now. So we would play all – I mean, we played the junior colleges. You mentioned your buddy that went to junior college in San Antonio there. But, I mean, we had um, West Valley College, De Anza College, Stanford, Cal, San Jose State, San Francisco State, um, all those schools, USF, all those schools within, you know, kind of striking distance, San Jose City College. So we would play every Tuesday and Thursday. We'd play these teams. So – in the fall of my freshman year, I did get to play a little third base and hit, especially in our intra-squad games, mm-hmm. but um, for the most part, they recruited me to be a pitcher, and uh, I worked on kind of learning how to pitch that whole, my whole freshman year. Now, there was a little hiccup, and this was a, a little scary thing, but um, we had a couple days off. It was raining, and my freshman year, here I am. The scholarship kid, me and one other kid are probably going to make the varsity team, and we went out and played mud football, and I separated my shoulder. <laughs> it was in November of my freshman year. Yeah. So not only were my parents not happy, my teammates weren't happy, but it was the whole baseball team was out there playing, and they still blame me to this day for not lateraling the ball. I held onto the ball. I was supposed to lateral it back. Yeah. And uh, separated my shoulder, so I actually had to have a pin put in my shoulder, and. That kind of delayed my freshman year by about two or three months. I made my
1: debut in March, I think, and I was supposed to start in uh, February. So, yeah, I remember growing up in Oklahoma. Uh, whenever it would rain really hard, uh, we would all meet up at the uh, at somewhere where they had like a softball field because the in the infield was all dirt, and we would play mud football. Lots of fun, and I can't believe none of us ever got hurt. We played a lot you of know, it. I had never gotten I had never gotten hurt doing something like that. we yeah. really hadn't. But obviously,
4: you know, there's a first time for everything. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. Probably one, yeah.
2: Probably one of my good friends, a guy who I've lost touch with, but one of the most famous friends I have. Um, he's on um, the
1: SWAT show on CBS, Shamar. You know the lead. You ever watch SWAT? Yeah, my wife does. Okay, so Shamar Moore was a teammate of ours. And
2: he came in as a freshman that year, and I remember he walked me over to the uh, the health clinic. Like, I was holding my shoulder in tight like this, and he walked me over there, and he was shaking his head, and I was shaking my head. He's like, what have we done? And uh, he came to visit me in the hospital with a good friend of ours also. And uh,
3: anyway, that's so funny. I mean, I, I have lost touch with Shamar, Yeah. Uh, but that was, I'll never forget that. Not because it was Shamar, but mainly because
2: he and I were both freshmen, and we knew we shouldn't have been doing that, and I'd never really been injured doing anything like that. And here I am, you know, with the scholarship to Santa Clara, haven't even pitched an inning yet, and I'm heading over to the health clinic with a
1: separated shoulder. That was not, <laughs> that was not a good day. So uh, what was it like uh, trying to maintain your grades while uh, playing sports, like playing baseball?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, as I mentioned, education was really important to my dad. Right. <laughs> And, and, you know, I, and now looking back, you know, having a job, having a degree, all that stuff is super important. But I guess what, um, what, what kind of comes out of that mainly is, is really baseball was my major. And if there's no two ways about it, you know, people will talk about college athletics, you know, doing this and doing that, but, but baseball was my major yeah and, the, and because it's your major, you know, it really is hard to keep up your academic, to be honest with you, because, You know, I I can tell you I got mono my sophomore year. I had a (laughs) girlfriend. So basically you get up at 7 a.m. in the morning. You go to class till like, you know, 2 in the afternoon. You go to practice from like 3 to 6 every night. And then you want to spend time with your girlfriend and study. You're going to bed at 11 or 12 and then you're getting up again at 6 or 7 the next day. I mean, you do that for two months. And, you know, and practice was not like a walk in the park. I know baseball, there's a lot of standing around in baseball. But, man, we had to run miles. We had to fix the field. We had to, you know, I mean, anyway, I'm not asking for sympathy. I guess what I'm saying is your question was about studies. Yeah. Studies was kind of low on the totem pole when it came to girlfriends, baseball. Right. You know, beer and pizza.
1: You yeah. Know? <laughs> studies got pushed way down. Yeah, I remember at that age, it's pretty hard to care about anything else but girls. Yeah. The girls and having fun. There's that too. The girls but, having fun yeah. and playing sports. That's right. And, and and I got to play sports, you know, basically at that high level where people were like, Hey, there's that scholarship
2: baseball player guy. Like, you know, I mean there was some notoriety that came with it playing at that high level. So right. um, you know, anyway, it was it was certainly a challenging time and I think as we all do. Right, if you only knew then what you know now. Right. Um, You know, there's that looking back thing, like, "Oh man, I could have done this a little bit better." I will say this: when I got drafted, um, when I got drafted, I,
1: uh, um, oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh no, I I guess (laughs) when I got, um, I'm the one that's supposed to do that. That's all right. I can't remember what I was saying, so I'm sorry. You might think of it. We'll get going here. I, I did that one time I was talking to someone and they responded and I was going to ask them something, but they kept going and I forgot what I was going to ask them. So, I mean, it's human. It's human. Uh, so what was I going to ask you? See, I was going to ask you something too, and I forgot, but now I remember. So it was Santa Clara close to where you grew up. So were your parents able to watch your games when you're going to college?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely it was, and and I really, I, I like that part of it. The funny thing is, you know, when I look at how close Santa Clara was or how far away it was, um, you know, Santa Clara is about 20 minutes from where I grew up and went to high school, but I never went over to Santa Clara games, like football games or baseball games or basketball games, when I lived, when I was in high school. It just wasn't on the radar. Huh. My dad, like I said, being a Stanford business school alum, we used to go up to Stanford, which was about half an hour, 30 minutes away, yeah, 40 minutes away, but we go watch Stanford games. We would go to Stanford basketball games, football games, and stuff like that. But you know, we would do certain things. Um, but Santa Clara was closer, but kind of further off, uh, further off the radar. And um, but when I got there and I started pitching, it's funny you mentioned when I came back from my shoulder. My first game, my freshman year, was against Cal, and the leadoff hitter for Cal was a guy who had graduated from Los Gatos High School two years prior to me. So mm-hmm. my first college experience was facing Cal Berkeley, but the leadoff hitter was a guy who I knew from high school, and uh, and yeah, so my parents were there, and uh, it was great. I used to actually have to tell my dad to uh, calm down, so he would go to the games, and he would yell every once in a while, and I just told him that, you know, can't be having
3: that.
1: So what I gathered from researching you, you actually picked up the W there, right? Or do you not remember? What, what did you say? Repeat the question. Sorry. Oh, I said from my research, you picked up the W. You won that game, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you no, won. That was funny because that was, yep, that was a huge, that was such a huge confidence booster for me. I think we won five to one. Look yeah. at that. Or maybe I was five and one. Now I can't remember. But I did. I threw six innings. I threw six innings. I think I gave up one or two runs. And, and the thing for me wasn't, how about that? I remember it too. That was my first college start, I guess, way back 30, 40 years ago, Yeah. but we, uh, but we, um, we won the game, but my thing was they had kind of, they were unsure about how my shoulder, although it wasn't a pitching injury, I had separated my right shoulder. They were just kind of unsure about how they knew I was ready to go. We had rehabbed it, all that stuff, but that was kind of a, a catapult or a catalyst for me to be like, all right, I'm here. This is what I came before. And, and yeah. it, was a, it was a confidence booster to throw, you know, six good innings against, uh, you know, a Pac-12 team.
1: Okay, so we talked earlier that you played three seasons in college. Uh, your junior year, 151 innings. You were fifth in the nation. Uh, West Coast Conference Pitcher of the Year, All-West Coast Conference Team, Baseball America's all-American second team, and then you're drafted in the sixth round by the Reds. How did you decide that you are ready to leave after your junior year? Or did you had already graduated, or is it because where you got picked, or what was your decision about leaving school? Yeah, great, great question. So I did promise my dad I would come back
2: and do it, uh, come back and get the degree. But I think kind of the trajectory or the path for the guys that were going to be in the big leagues was that you basically played three years of college and then you left after your junior year. I mean, that's just the way that thing is set up. It's okay. kind of like that, uh, what do they have, the one-and-done rule in college now? In, 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 in uh, college for baseball, it was you either signed when you were 18 out of high school mm-hmm. or you had to wait till your junior year. And, you know, going from the 34th round with the Yankees to the 6th round with the Reds, I just thought, I don't know if I could improve um, any sort of um, right. standing Uh, And, you know, there is some financial kind of uh, benefits of being drafted in the top 10 rounds. It wasn't a ton of money, but it was worth it. And I just didn't think I could improve my lot. And honestly, I mean, boy, if they used me the same way they did prior. I mean, I threw, like you said, the fifth
3: most innings in the country. Mm
2: -hmm. So I would throw throw eight or nine innings on Friday. And I'd throw six or seven innings on Tuesday. And if I had to come close a game on Saturday or Sunday, I would. So, I mean, 150 innings in, you figure that's 62 games. Right. So, I mean, they I was on the mound quite a bit my junior year. And, of course, I wouldn't have it any other way. I loved it. But people nowadays would be like, oh, my God. Uh, Bobby Jones was a friend of mine. We played together in Alaska. He was a pitcher for the Mets. I don't know if you remember him. But he led the nation that year. Mm-hmm. He threw, like, 179 innings or something. Mm. Like, dude, 180 innings in college baseball? Wow. So... I, that was my proudest accomplishment, throwing, you know, fifth most innings in the nation, having a fun year. Right. And that all stemmed from Alaska. I, I went two summers, like the Cape is now kind of notoriously the best place. Mm-hmm. But I tell you I had two summers in Alaska playing with guys from Texas. Calvin Murray was my roommate up there. You remember Calvin Murray from University of Texas? No. Played for the Giants. Okay. So Calvin Murray, Scott Pugh. A lot of these guys from Texas were on my team up in uh, Alaska. and I right. really got a lot of confidence playing with them this summer. Oh,
1: I grew up in Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. Uh, I moved to Texas but in 89. So oh, I've lived okay. here a long I time, though. Here. Yeah, I was going to say, if you followed UT
2: Baseball, Calvin was there probably in 1991. But, you know, if you're following OU, there was a kid named Brian Eldridge. Do you remember Brian Eldridge?
1: No. I'll, I only remember Bobby Witt. Okay.
2: Oh, Bobby Witt. There you go. There's another OU guy. Yeah. (laughs) Brian Eldridge uh, played at Oklahoma. He played with me in the summer. Anyway, I was just asking because uh, those guys all came out to Alaska in the summer and they were fun guys. And they gave me a heck of a lot of confidence being from kind of a smaller NorCal school to play with the big boys.
1: Okay, so after uh, in between your uh, college and pro, you played for the U.S. Pan American team. You have a little story about that. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had one little story about it.
2: I, I mean, that was so that was a huge accomplishment. Again, a lot of this stuff, as I said, never being the best player on the team, all of these things
3: were little confidence boosters mm-hmm. for me as I, you know, became more successful and played at
2: higher levels. But so I mentioned earlier, Bob Milano asked me my freshman or sophomore year, like, "How come you didn't come to Cal Berkeley?" And I was like, "Well, because you didn't recruit me." Well, Stanford, of course, that's, they've come up the conversation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had gone to business school there, big fan, but I was born in Palo Alto, you know, yeah. so they can recruit anywhere. And it's really hard to kind of come out of the backyard of Palo Alto and be a Stanford recruit for baseball. And they didn't recruit me, but I pitched really well
3: against Stanford mm-hmm. and Marquis, coach. Mark Marquis was the kind of the,
2: he was on the board of team USA and he's like, look, this kid's got to be on the team. So basically I went to the tryouts and I did well at the tryouts. And um, I just kept making it through each little hoop that they put me through. Because we went from like 40 guys down to 30,
3: mm-hmm. then down to 25 for most of the summer. And then after the 25 guys,
2: um, we went to 20 for the Pan American Games. We were down to a 20-man roster, I believe. Yeah. And I made it the whole way. And uh, From a small school, It was a pretty big accomplishment. But I mentioned earlier, like Jason Giave was on that team, Charles Johnson, Jeffrey Hammond. Um, Jeff Ware pitched in
3: the big leagues, John Detmer, a buddy of mine pitched in the big league. Yeah, So it was kind of the, it was the catalyst for me being a professional, but mm-hmm. it was also a, um,
2: it was a huge confidence boost for me to be, um, to, you know, kind of belong, right? We all want that sense of belonging. You feel that at the workplace or wherever else, but it's like, you know what? I belong with these guys. I can play baseball with the, you know, kind of the best guys in the country and hold my own. And that summer we went to Japan and Cuba and um, yeah, I mean, we traveled all over the world. That was a lot of fun. And I will tell you a quick story in Cuba. I might've told this on the Bleacher Blums podcast before, but man, we got there and playing the U.S. was a big deal for them, but we took the field and it was so loud, kind of like Oakland where they have that drum and everybody complains about the drum in Oakland. Mm-hmm. When we took the field, And we started to, you know, we did our warm-ups, and we were ready to throw the first pitch. I was waiting for the sound to die down. And it didn't. It got louder. So when we're in the field and they're hitting, it's just loud the whole time. It sounds like a rock concert. It was crazy.
1: So, yeah, I'm sorry. I got a little distracted. Someone came to the front door, and I was hoping they weren't going to ring the doorbell. But anyway, so that was... I don't think anybody heard it. (laughs) No, they didn't ring it. Oh, okay. I was kind of looking out. Now I'm kind of like, anyway, it's live, folks. You're hearing a live podcast, so, so I'm pretty sure that was a great accomplishment. And then you you start your long career in the minor leagues. So I'm sure what I mean, whatever stories you can come up with here, um, I, I'd like to know how it is. Like I talked earlier, the you know a lot of people think being the minor league player is all glamour and glitz but maybe you can share what it's like the life of a minor league ball player
2: yeah you know i have two stories that i think will provide some color and even big leaguers have this experience it's just that they kind of made it through all this Mm -hmm. um so two stories one is my first or second year i went to charleston west virginia that was the red kind of medium a ball team they had a high a team and a a mid-level, I guess, A-ball team. That was a Sally League, South Atlantic League. Mm-hmm. And um, we got four guys in an apartment because we were all making about $900 a month. So each making $900, we could get this apartment for like $400. Yeah. we are like, all right, let's all four of us. Two bedrooms, you get two, you two in that bedroom, you two in that bedroom. Well, the season started, let's just say the season started mm-hmm. April 7th. We arrived in Charleston like April 5th signed the lease on our apartment, put all our stuff in there, went down to the clubhouse, got the uniforms. The next day, the 6th, we were leaving for an eight-game road trip. So we were starting the season on the road. Mm -hmm. So we had signed the lease and got in the apartment, and the lights work and everything worked. So we're like, oh, this is awesome. So we signed the lease, get in the thing, go away. You know, I'm
3: 21 years old at the time. We get in the bus, and we go away on an eight-day road trip. So
2: we basically, you know, you come throw your stuff down and leave. Well, we got back from the road trip at like 2 a.m. You know, first eight games of the season. We're at like 3 and 5. You know, it's not going that well yet. You're just trying to feel out your teammates. You haven't even been home yet. Yeah. And we go into the apartment with our keys. It's like 2 in the morning. We just got back from like Fayetteville, you know, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And we click on the lights and they don't go on. And there's a notice saying... You didn't register your electricity. You know, we had to shut it off. You know, you're supposed to register within the first four days of
1: being in here and blah, 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 blah. Right. So we're in an apartment at two in the morning with no power,
2: you know, no power, no food. Everybody just kind of like crashed. I don't even know if we had furniture
3: yet because we had rented furniture. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's kind of, you know, that
2: doesn't happen in real life, right? You would have somebody take care of that or the team would give you enough money to like, all right, this is what's going to happen.
3: Yeah. So basically
2: we get our check. Oh, and we hadn't got our check yet, right? Because you get paid every two weeks. So, you know, our checks hadn't arrived yet. We have no electricity, no furniture. And we just got back from an eight day road trip that wasn't even that great.
3: And, you know, yeah. what a, what a rough life that was. And then, and then the other thing
2: I will say is, you know, the constant kind of, we didn't have iPods back then, but we did have like disc man, things like that. Mm-hmm. But man, you, you know, 30 guys on a bus, for 10 hours from 2 a.m. to noon fighting over you're trying to sleep in a little seat and the starting pitcher would get his own seat but you just had to share a seat as well so you're making nine hundred dollars a month you're on a bus ride for 14 hours from you know from i don't know chattanooga tennessee to to uh, knoxville that, that wouldn't be 14 hours that'd be like two hours but oh, yeah, from chattanooga tennessee to carolina we had uh, to go to carolina so you're on a bus for 12 hours and you're sharing a seat with some guy who, you know, doesn't smell all that good and he's bigger than you are. We're all 6'3", <laughs> 6'4", yeah. 200 pounds, you know, it's like, oh man. I mean, you know, you wake up with a crick in your neck, you have batting practice at four o'clock and then strap it on and play a baseball game. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if that puts a lot of color around it and it's kind of hard to share a ton of stories there, but I I'll I will tell you. You know, having your power out and making nine hundred dollars a paycheck, or sorry, four fifty a paycheck, mm. is a uh, is a uh, it's a it's a dose of reality that you probably don't expect when you think of professional baseball player.
1: So, with, was there ever a time where you had a long bus trip, like early in the morning, and you had to play that night, or did you uh, always, or did was you always the only have the kinds we had? Oh, you didn't, you didn't have a day of traveling? It was always, you could have a game in you this know, town? We, yep. Strap it on
3: and play. Yeah. I mean, so we would play, let's say we play four games at home at Charleston, yeah, uh, West Virginia. And then we had to play at Charleston, South Carolina the next day or
2: the next night. Uh-huh. So they try to do day games. So every once in a while, we'd have a one o'clock game. That would be over at four. We'd grab a bite to eat, get on the bus at seven at night. That seven at night is a 10-hour bus ride. So you know, you're getting there five in the morning, four in the morning. Sometimes the hotel rooms aren't ready because the other team didn't leave and they don't have the maid service in. So you basically have like a conference room to put all your stuff down and everybody tries to get a nap there. And then, yeah, you go to batting practice at three in the afternoon and you play that night in Charleston, South Carolina after playing the day before in Charleston, West Virginia. So, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's something that's, Probably goes as you asked. It goes overlooked or over. Uh, it, it doesn't get noticed, mm-hmm. but it's a really trying test. To um, you know, I mean, we talk about. I guess I, I fall on military stuff like Navy field training, mm-hmm. boot camp, buds, all that stuff. I mean, it's it's a mental grind. You know, they're testing you, and if you can get through all that and make it to the big leagues, it's well worth it. But you know, a lot of that stuff is up to you. As I said, you got to control the process, the effort, the energy. But a lot of it's up to, you know, circumstances outside your control. So some guys make it and some don't. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it was challenging. Yeah, you played every day. I think we got like five days off for the whole summer.
1: Okay. Another thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, after four seasons with the Reds, you were traded to Detroit or the Detroit organization. What does it feel like to be traded?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Rob.
1: And I will say... Um, does it feel like for you're me, important to the other team, or does it feel like the other team doesn't want you anymore? How does that feel? That's what I want to So for
2: me, no, that's a, that's an excellent way to phrase it. Uh, for me personally, I'm an optimist. I like to look ahead. I was kind of like floundering a little bit with the Reds. I had come off that um, you know 160-inning season, right? So I threw 155 innings, which was fifth in the nation in college. Then I went through um, for Team USA, and I threw another 70 innings. So I was at 220, and then I went to instructional league and threw another 10. Mm -hmm. I basically threw 230 innings in a year, and then I showed up to spring training with kind of my arm was fatigued. It was like dead arm. I didn't know what was going on. So I didn't get off to the rounding razzling start or you know dazzling start that I had wanted to with uh, the Reds. Mm -hmm. So after four years with the Reds being traded, felt like the Tigers wanted me. And when I got there, they said, "Look, you've been starter." We're going to put you in the bullpen and let
1: you throw hard for an inning. and We're going to kind of work you in this way. I had a lot lot of optimism with them. So it it felt good that you know another team wanted you. So here's something that is very interesting. Uh, You were on a team, and I don't know if this is your first year with Detroit, but you were on a team that was 50 and 90, and you had 21 saves. I know. Seven and seven, wins. seven wins and twenty one <laughs> saves, and yeah. I wonder. I, I I have your quote here. Do you can you think you can remember what you said about that? Or no, but I, I'd love to hear it. You said that was unheard of in baseball. I believe that prolonged my professional career. Yeah,
2: that, I do. I don't know when I said that. I might have said that recently. Yeah. So here's a little-known fact that um, the manager of the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, was also on that team. And you can find his statistics, but I think he led the California League in uh, steals that year. So, so as optimistic as I was to get traded to the Tigers and who were going to use me, I got put on this co-op team,
3: mm-hmm. which
2: was a bunch of guys from the Diamondbacks were starting up, the Tigers. It was kind of a group of mishmash guys. It was almost like independent ball. And you tell me if you've ever heard it in professional baseball of – they had me kind of at the back end of the bullpen of a closer that had seven wins, 21 saves. That's 28, obviously, 28 – a uh, hand in 28 of the 50 victory. Yeah. <laughs> so more than half the victories I was on the mound. Like I don't – I don't think – I mean – so again, I, I guess it was a misnomer when I said I was never the best player on a team. Right. I was an older, experienced guy. I had had some double A experience at the point. At that point, so going back to A ball, maybe I had a ton of confidence or whatever. But uh, yeah, that was that prolonged my career. You know, me and Dave Roberts came out of there looking pretty good, and Dave Roberts went on to obviously win a World Series with the Red Sox, and you know, his career, his trajectory came shooting out of there as well. I think he had like sixty nine stolen bases.
1: Um, in the Cal League that year, 1997, I believe, 1996. Okay, so after that, you're traded to Arizona, and you won a Cal League title, you played for Tulsa, you were Texas League champions, and then you ended your career in Tucson, AAA level, and I got another quote from you. I got this from your high school where they they inducted you into the uh, Athletic Hall of Fame. That's where I got all this stuff. And, and you Great. said your last season with Tucson, you said, I think it was my best year and I almost got called up. So you, you, you spent eight or nine years in minor league ball. Uh, like, how did it feel that you just never got the call or did you get so close that you could taste it?
2: Yeah, I think I think both those can be true. I think what you said is accurate. I mean, I felt like I was right there. I felt like I belonged. I've told this story on the Bleacher Blums podcast when I was in Big League Camp. I came into a game with the bases loaded against the White Sox in Tucson, and Chris Singleton happened to be at the plate, the uh, ESPN commentator announcer. Mm-hmm. and announcer. Uh, and he was a good left-handed hitter. And uh, I threw him a couple sinkers, and he hit one back right at me, like a two-hopper right back to the mound. And I remember looking at, uh, I think, Greg Colbran for the Diamondbacks playing first base, and it was, in, like, in a movie. Like, I've done this a million times. He's probably 10, 12 feet away from me. It looked like he was 50 feet away from me. Like, all you got to do is just toss the ball over to him. Yeah. And I did that and got out of the inning, and, uh, and I thought, you know what? I mean, I do belong here. This is what I've been doing for the last 15 years, you know, 20 years. I do belong here, and I can certainly um, hang with these guys. But, uh, but you know, it just never happened. And again, I think this is also hindsight. Maybe I was a little more disgruntled at the time, but as competitive as I was, and as much as I wanted to make it, I also realized I, I only control the process. I really, I mean, I don't know how it's, how easy it is to go back and say that, but I worked hard. I got there. I did these things. And it's funny because I well, I don't know if it's ironically, but the year after that, two of my roommates got called up to the big leagues and that was the year they beat the Yankees 2001 for the, uh, the world series championship. So a root ball. And then as I got into high school and now in professional baseball, I got all these championships along the way. And, uh, and you know, that one could have been the last one, the final one, if I'd stuck it out one more year, but, uh, but I didn't. And
1: I, I don't look back. I don't look back at all. So you decided to call it quits and, uh, then, then you ended up getting married, having three kids yep. Uh, so did you already know your wife while you were playing ball or did you meet her afterwards?
2: So kind of my last year, like 1999, 1999, 2000 is when I met her. And, um, you know, I mean, we didn't have kids or we didn't really have this great grand dream of like settling down or doing anything. It was just, it was just time. It was just time. And I already, you know, I I only told two quick stories about minor league travel, but, uh, you know i have 10 or 20 of those if you ever want to have me back on the podcast we can talk about those stories and not uh, i would like to get in and i'm going to do it more on the bleacher Blum podcast but yeah. i would like to get a little more in depth about because the minor leaguers right now especially
3: with the uh, coronavirus yeah. you know they're not getting paid the big leaguers are trying to figure all that out but
2: anyway back to your original question i mean it was just <laughs> It was just time for me to hang it up. I wasn't injured, but I was just kind of mentally capped, uh, I think. It was really hard to get ready for another year to leave my family, you know, to leave this woman who's going to be my wife and right. try and uh, try and figure out where we're going to go. So I met her like in 1999. She came out to some games in El Paso when I was in A, and then came out to uh, that last year in Tucson. She spent some time out there and I don't know. I just decided to call it quits and, you know, that was it.
1: Okay, so you have three kids and you have twin girls. And Blummer actually has triplets. So that's something you have in common. So so how, how did you know Blummer and how did this you and him hooking up with the podcast happen?
2: Yeah, so that's great. I mean, the way we really kind of found each other is that our kids went to school together. That's the short and sweet of it. He was living down here in San Clemente. Obviously, now he lives in Houston. Um, but our kids were going to the same school. And, um, I recognize him and he recognized me and, you know, I've been mean, going to school in the Bay area. I've said this a bunch of times, but that fraternity, that baseball fraternity, especially is a really small fraternity, you know, he knows Dave Roberts, he knows Randy Wynn, who went to Santa Clara Blummer played, with like a guy that I got drafted with Mike Harrison, John Zuber the a Cal guy. Um, you know, this network of guys that we've all played against, played with is very small. And you talk about tip of the spear in terms of talent. But it's also tip of the spear in terms of who you came into contact with you know there were plenty of guys in my locker room Mm -hmm. that were in blummer's locker room as well so we uh we would talk in the parking lot about guys we had in common and you know what it's like to be fathers of multiples and i think on our initial podcast one or two blummer pointed out like he just called it like talking with tuttle in the parking lot
3: yeah we were like
2: hey you know we talk every day for a half hour We should like do a podcast, very similar to what your story is, you know, for your Astros podcast. You were kind of just trying to test it out. Mm -hmm. So we tried it kind of at, at my house. It wasn't called Bleacher Blum's. We tried it with another guy that he knew and it didn't really work out. And then Blummer left. He went from San Clemente, California, all the way out to Houston. And we said, you know what? We tried it. We didn't like that version of it, but let's do it again. Let's try it. Let's like Skype it. Let's get a microphone. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously, like I said, all the commonality we had leading up to that point was a good starting off point, but our friendship has obviously grown and deepened and we realized that, uh, that we have good chemistry and, uh, it was just something that we really wanted to do. And so we made it happen very similar to you, Rob.
1: And another thing I wanted to share with the audience real quick is that conversation we had earlier, uh, me and you are talking pretty much about what we were going to cover in the podcast and 9 minutes into it I realized and you realized as well that we were actually having a really good podcast going but we weren't even recording it so so the conversation you were having with him in the uh, parking lot that's that's cool that you that you realized that because I've had long conversations about the Astros with my wife but she won't come on here because she's too, she's too shy, you know, but I told her you, you just had a podcast with me right now. I just come in the room yeah. and say all that stuff. So i that's pretty interesting. I think, yeah. I think we have a lot in common as far as, you know, the way our podcast got started. Yeah.
2: And I would encourage anybody, I mean, uh, like you, especially, like you said, we, we touched on this before, but I think you just, uh, I mean, you're, I don't know how rare it is, but for a guy who's just kind of a fan and what are your passionate about, you just kind of started doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a great place to be in this day and age. I mean, Jeff and I talk about this all the time, right? The Blumberg and I, we he had some notoriety there in Houston, especially and you know, being an ex-Major League player. And, uh, you know, I have a good fan base per se, mm-hmm. but we didn't do this because our friends said, hey, you guys should do a podcast. Hey, you guys should do this to try and make some money. We didn't do any of that. We were like, hey, we enjoy these conversations. We feel like we have a lot to offer. And if you listen to the Bleacher Blum's podcast, you know that sometimes it gets Astros heavy. Sometimes it's a lot of baseball, but very often it's, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, especially with the coronavirus, like, what are we streaming right now? What are we watching? Yeah. How are we raising our kids? My favorite one I remember with Blummer was like, they have a group text in their house. And you know they have a group text like, "Hey, who's who's turning to empty the dishwasher?" Well, sure. You know, I'm like, "You're texting in your house. Your kids are up in their room." But uh, you know, little things like that, I think people enjoy, and and we really have a good time with it. And as you can tell, you know, just me being on your podcast, there's plenty of stories out there. There's plenty of things to share, and we found this medium uh, to
1: be quite enjoyable. And I really appreciate you having me on, Rob. Well, I appreciate you doing this. And I don't know if you noticed, but. Uh, I actually had to start the third segment because we already went over the thirty minutes in the second part, so we 're in overtime now you' you're getting hey. overtime you 're getting overtime pay, but I really do appreciate yeah, you coming I- on, and I thought it would be awesome for these people to to get to hear a story and not have to hear about the Astros cheating scandal or the virus or <laughs> you know just just to hear you know a baseball player's story. And I, I thought it was interesting. I, I really do appreciate you doing this. And I hope to have you back. And it seems like we got more, that we got plenty more that we could probably talk about. So if you'll come back, yeah, I'd I love mean, to have you really, back. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. I would love to. And
2: in all honesty, I mean, like I said, we just kind of covered my career and like what my trajectory was. And now, we can, now that we've got that out of the way, yeah, the next time we come back, we can really talk maybe like baseball strategy or like what you think is going to happen on the horizon with, you know, just major league baseball. I think we got a mailbag question yesterday um, regarding like contracts, what's going to happen to the baseball contracts with the major league players association and if they don't play and all that stuff. So this is a, uh, we're in uncharted territory with mm-hmm. the COVID-19 uh, you know, mm-hmm. shelter in place. And uh, yeah, I'd love to come back, but Rob, thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking with you again sometime. You can get me on Twitter at real David Tuttle. Obviously, the Bleacher Blums podcast, BleacherBlums.com. And I really
1: appreciate you having me on. All right, folks. That's it for now. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Astro's Baseball. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you'll know when there's a new episode available. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Rob Fontenot. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.